Please join me in the litany of invitation and confession. We lift our voices in joyful praise to God, who creates, redeems, and loves. In God and in God's love, we live and move and have our being. Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we experience the abundant life and love of God. Grace of God in Christ and give thanks. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we will never be without God. God promised never to leave or forsake us, and God's promise is true. We worship God in three persons transcendent creator, liberating redeemer, and intimate spirit. We join our grateful voices with all the company of heaven, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. And yet we also confess that our worship and our witness have not always been faithful. Brothers and sisters, here is the good news of the gospel. You are forgiven. May our lives reflect the light of God's never-ending grace, and may our spirits be renewed from this moment on. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. I'm, I'm so glad you decided to join us this morning. For those of you who are visiting, welcome. We invite you to fill out the tear-off sheet that's in your order of worship, and when the offering plates come around, to place that in the offering plate. And if you have a prayer request for anyone that you would like the staff of Northside Drive to pray for at our weekly staff meeting and throughout the week, Please write that on the opposite side of that tear-off sheet and also place that in the offering. Today is Trinity Sunday, or is known in the liturgy of the church because it falls before Memorial Day, Associate Pastor Sunday. <laughs> we worship Triune God this morning through texts and song that evoke God in three persons. You'll hear several passages of scripture that have explicit Trinitarian elements to them. You'll hear the Isaiah passage from which I'll draw my sermon, Isaiah 6, where he has the vision in the temple with a seraphim surrounding God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, which has traditionally been read as a Trinitarian text in the Christian church. You'll hear the epistle lesson from Paul's letter to the Romans, which invokes God the Creator, a petition through the Spirit to God the Father, and fellowship with God the Son. Uh, and you will hear music that has Trinitarian themes to it, including the introit, which Jeff McConaughey was telling me 
was written by Bach with explicitly Trinitarian theology. What a gift we have in Jeff. It'll be a more intimate service as we prepare for transitioning to the chapel next week. You notice our staff ensemble is seated up front. They'll be singing from the nave, as will I give my sermon from the nave. And next Sunday, we'll be beginning worship in the chapel. Let us continue the worship of God with the reading of Holy Scripture. The Call of Isaiah, a reading from the book of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the Lord say, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us pray. Most high and holy God, we gather here today to remember. We remember that you have loved us, forgiven us, and sent us forth as your emissaries. We are grateful for your grace and trust and the assurance of your presence. And yet we are fearful. Failure, loss, and shame have taken their toll. Fear and grief feel like constant companions. Remind us that as the spring rains bring about the greening of our world, your grace and mercy can replenish our small store of faith. Lord, show us that renewal is all around as people join together across racial and ethnic divides in an effort to reach understanding, young people take stands against violence. Children again fill the steps of this sanctuary, and those of us who are struggling are comforted and supported by this beloved community. There is much to inspire hope. Forgive us for forgetting that you are always making everything new. Lord, today we ask that you be present with those in our congregation who are suffering illness, job insecurity, and the loss of loved ones. Strengthen and comfort them. And on this Memorial Day weekend, as we remember those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom, we also remember those in our country and around the world who continue to fight for just causes. 
May their sacrifice not be in vain. And God is to act in ways that contribute to a world where peace and justice are enjoyed by all. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we pray the prayer he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Being led by the Spirit of God, a reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put death to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. Well, I'm glad that y'all are here today. I know that it's summertime and school is over, but I'm glad that you're here. I brought a baby doll with me um, because I was thinking a lot about when I held my brand new nephew for the very first time. We were in the hospital and he was wrapped up like this um, and he uh, wasn't very clean. Um, and he was making lots of noises, but he was so sweet and so special. Have y'all ever held a newborn baby? No? You have? What was it like? It was incredible. Yeah? Why was it incredible? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was the gift of life. Today we're talking about um, a man named Nicodemus and Jesus and how they, Nicodemus went to Jesus and was asking him lots of questions about being born again. 
You can't be born again, can you? No. And so what Jesus said was that we have to be born again through water and spirit. And what he meant by through water was being born like being born into this world. And he said that um, we have to be born again through spirit, which means that we are seeing the world as though a newborn were seeing the world. Do you remember what it was like to be a newborn? No. But newborns see things for the very first time. They experience things for the very first time. You all saw your parents for the very first time. I, you, we might not be able to remember what we were experiencing when we were newborns, but maybe there are some things that you've experienced for the very first time that you can remember. I remember the first time I tried broccoli. I didn't like it. I love it now. And I remember the first time I rode a roller coaster. I was terrified, but it was so much fun. And all of these new experiences that we felt, there were things happening inside of us. And so what, what Jesus was saying is when we are born again, we are seeing the world as though we were a newborn, seeing things for the very first time. That's how we are born of the Spirit, how we are born again. So I say we all try to look at the world as though we are seeing it for the very first time. We look at people as though we are meeting them for the very first time. And maybe we can love everyone as though we knew nothing about them. They were all brand new people that we are just meeting. Okay? Let's try to do that more often. All right? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for allowing us to be born again and born anew every single day. God, I pray that we work hard to look at the world as though we were a newborn, experiencing things for the very first time. We love you, and you thank you for, we thank you for the love that you show us. In your name we pray. Amen.
We will now hear Nicodemus having a conversation with Jesus about eternal life. Daniel and I will help read this gospel lesson as a conversation, with Daniel reading the part of Nicodemus and me reading the part of Jesus. A reading from the gospel according to John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But how can these things be? Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. that his vision came in the year that King Uzziah died. Now picture it with me. The king is dead. Uzziah is dead. King Uzziah was just 16 years old when he took the throne of Judah, the southern kingdom. He was just a boy, but he ruled for a lifetime. He, He was on the throne 52 years. I guess they didn't have term limits back then. 52 years. I mean, two years seems like a long time for a king, but but 52 years? Folks can get complacent for 52 years. I mean, folks can forget what it is like to imagine a different future. People can get proud, uh, too self-reliant, independent. 
And that is exactly what the Bible tells us happened to King Uzziah. The Bible tells us that he became proud to his own destruction. Well, he had built up Judah's defenses. He had been a good king in the way that was judged back then. He had built some great towers. He had built up the military, the Bible says. But he became proud. And one day, King Uzziah came into the temple... And I imagine all by himself, he strode into the temple. And he went up to the altar of incense, which is an altar that is before the Holy of Holies where God dwells. And he made an offering. He made the offering and he turned around and and the chief priest of the temple was there, Azariah. Now imagine this, behind Azariah are 80 priests of Israel. 80 priests plus the chief priest. And they're all standing behind them, and they they say, Uzziah, this isn't for you to do. Making the offering of incense is for the priests of Aaron. Well, when you're on the throne for 52 years, nobody tells you what to do, right? He got angry. He got angry, the Bible says, and leprosy broke out all over his forehead, a visible mark of his pride, because his sin was pride. Pride in its self-sufficiency, pride in I can do it myself, pride in I alone can fix it. This was the king of Judah who had reigned perhaps as long as Isaiah had been alive. And Isaiah had known nothing but Uzziah, Uzziah, Uzziah. All day long the newspapers talked of nothing else but Uzziah. Folks got sick of hearing his name. They got sick of politics, didn't they? So they went to the temple to try to escape it. But politics was all over the temple, too. There was nowhere they could go to escape the king. His glory, or so it seemed, filled the whole earth. That's what he wanted people to think. And so, church wasn't the place you could see God. In fact... God was kept way back in the holy of holy areas, and and only then, one time a year, could the the chief priest go into that area on Yom Kippur. But Uzziah did so well in politics that he thought, well, I'll take a shot at religion, too. I'll become a priest. I've already shown him I can handle politics. I'll take on God next. And I bet as leprosy broke out on his forehead... Maybe they marched him through the streets, chanting, unholy, unholy, unholy. And it was in this burst of unholiness that Isaiah goes, I imagine, to church for the very first time. I mean, of course, he had been to church before. Everybody had been to church before, plenty of times. It was compulsory back then. It was expected. Folks would frown upon you if you didn't go to church back then. He'd been there. What was different this time? The the text tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. That's what the text says. Why is that? Perhaps it is because pride dulls the imagination. Pride is what got Uzziah in trouble. Pride limits what we think is possible Pride gets in the way of our experiencing God's presence. We, we give God so much less room to work when we let pride take over. I remember going to church a lot during my late 20s, not my early 20s. 
forgive me. I'd go to a new church with Jenny every Sunday, and Jenny would say, well, what'd you think? And I'd say, too much hands in the air. We'd go to another church, she'd say, what do you think? And I'd say, uh, I didn't like what that preacher said. Let's try another one. We'd go to church, and I'd say, I don't like the way that person talked to me on the way out. Well, when you are a customer of Christianity, you can rate the performance, can't you? You can get on Yelp or Facebook and and give starred reviews to the performance. You can be a critic. Three stars, I might have said. Sermon was great, but that food at the potluck, subpar. Two stars, I'd say. Everything was okay until the preacher made some reference that didn't connect well with me. I must have gone to 20 churches, and I hadn't seen the Lord once. Not a single time. It wasn't the church's fault, mind you. I'm sure God showed up there every Sunday faithfully, like God does, wherever two or more are gathered in movie theaters or middle schools or churches or parking lots where two or more are gathered. Jesus said, I'll be among you. But I didn't show up expecting to see God. I was like Uzziah in the temple. Pride had gotten the better of me. Something had to die within me in order to see the Lord, just as it did for Isaiah. And for Isaiah, it was King Uzziah, the death of the old regime. Maybe it was religious nationalism. Maybe it was the death of imagination. We can speculate together. And what will it be for you? I wonder, what are you clinging to that must die in order for you to see the Lord. You know, one day I went to a funeral not expecting to see the Lord. It was in the year that David Dungan died. My mentor, David Dungan, I thought he was the smartest person on earth. He'd spent his whole life teaching the New Testament. I idolized him when I took graduate study from him. But he died. And I went to the funeral and I saw the Lord. I mean, the whole sanctuary shook, just like it did in Isaiah 6. There might as well have been smoke coming, like it says in Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord. My whole body shook. I saw the Lord. I wasn't expecting to. I didn't plan for it. But I had been blind, and my ears and my eyes were open for the very first time. Isaiah, I believe, he had never opened his eyes. He had never opened his ears until he went into that temple and experienced the holy God of Israel. And when he did open his eyes, what a sight he saw. I mean, what a wild scene. It says there are seraphim flying around with six wings. And the whole sanctuary shook And smoke filled up the temple, and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, over and over again. They said the whole earth is full of his glory. And I wonder if Isaiah went home, went to his mama, said, Mama, I had a vision at church today. I saw these seraphim, and they said the whole earth is full of his glory. And mama laughed and said, Listen to little Isaiah. He says he saw the Lord today. 
Imagine that. Don't you know? The Bible says no person can see God and live. It says that in Exodus, doesn't it? No person can see God and live, but Isaiah had seen the Lord because he had approached the altar not with pride in his heart, but with humility. He was suddenly open. He was open to transcendence at that moment. I remember we were at church once, different church, when a young person had been commissioned to the ministry, had discerned a call to ministry, and at the end we're milling about, making our departure, and a deacon who had been a member of that church for a long time came up to me and said, Today we had church. Now hear that. Every Sunday we had church. But today, for him, the transcendent had opened. What was it that had happened? What had to have died for him to have seen the Lord? The seraphim said, the whole earth is full of his glory, not just the temple, because the temple can include the infinite, but it cannot capture the infinite. It cannot contain the infinite. Well, we can't capture God. We can't domesticate God with our worship, our stained glass windows, and our beautiful liturgy. We cannot contain the holy God, much as we try. And you see, people are always trying to domesticate God. I mean, even the lectionary committee tried to domesticate God in the scripture passage you read. It ends. I heard this preached during seminary a few times, and it was always about you're called discerning a call to ministry. But the lectionary committee cut off the verse sort of mid-sentence because they were afraid, perhaps, of what the people would discern if they heard the rest of it. So, if you like, the whole sanctuary shook. It's dangerous, isn't it? Open your Bibles with me. To Isaiah, you can read along and see what the lectionary committee deemed unworthy for inclusion. Isaiah chapter 6, it ends with verse 8, where Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. But God says, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds. And then Isaiah said, How long, O Lord? And God said, Until cities lie waste, without inhabitant and houses without people. But there is a bit of hope springing up from that desolate scene. God says, even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. So even in the midst of that desolation, there is hope. But it is more than the text attempts to capture in the reading you heard this morning. It is kind of an anti-prophecy, in fact. The prophecy is... Cut it. I think people can hear me from there.
brings us to, I think, the final aspect of worship that I want to talk about this morning, which is that when you are in the presence of the holy, you become holy. You hear that? I think we have trouble hearing that in our culture because of shame that we have. We think that we're not worthy to be in the presence of the holy. And so we do, rightfully, just as Isaiah does, confess that we're not worthy. And a hot coal must be placed on our tongue. But in order to be in the presence of holy, we must confess. And then when we are, God says, we become holy. He says that all over Scripture. He says, be ye holy just as I am holy. Over and over again, he says it. And so it might be that we hear that in the year that, that I died to self, I saw the Lord. I became holy. To be in the presence of holy is to become holy. And that is shocking news. It is, it's not good news to those whose economic interest is bound up in empire. It's not good news to those who want to domesticate God. But again and again, God says, be holy just as I am holy. And the threshold shook and the temple filled with smoke. And the seraph placed a coal on Isaiah's mouth. And he says, depart sin from you. You are cleansed. And why do you think there are burning coals? Somebody in the, the Wednesday Bible study said, I don't want to have burning coals placed on my lips. <laughs> None of us do. I think it's to show that worship is dangerous. That when we come before God with humility and a willingness to confess, that we should be prepared for something radical and new to happen in our life, just as it did for Isaiah. Yahweh says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me. He says it before he knows what he's being sent for. He says it in the verses I just read, not knowing that he'll be sent to tell the people that they will not understand, that their ears will be closed up. But he does it anyway, just as the prophets do. And Moses couldn't have understood what he was signing up for. John the Baptist hardly understood what he was preaching. All the prophets couldn't have understood at the outset of what the holy God of Israel was demanding of them. But he was sent out from the temple. He did not rest on his laurels. He did not post a Yelp review. He sent himself out by God, and he was on mission. Because the temple cannot contain God. All our human temples are temporary, because the whole earth is filled with God's glory, and therefore the whole earth is God's temple. So we won't tie ourselves to nation-states or governments. We won't have our experience of God manipulated by powers and principalities, because we come before a holy God who demands of us an attitude of humility, of openness, of imagination, and a willingness to be sent. We're not critics of a performance. We are citizens of a kingdom, and we will reign with God. If the sin of conservative fundamentalism is that they have attempted to contain the infinite with creeds and formulas 
and inerrancies, then the sin of progressive religion is its inability to acknowledge that God is holy, present, active, and sending. In other words, that God is here, right now. And God shows up in the transcendence of our worship. We can only dance around it with language. The, the hem of his robe fills the temple, Isaiah says. He shows up incarnate in Jesus, the Word of God, who cleanses us like hot coals. And he shows up in the Spirit, sending us out of the walls of our little church on a hill, sending us out from Northside Drive, triune God, one God in three persons, here, right now. And the whole earth, think about it, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Thanks be to God. Amen. As is our custom, whenever a word is offered, uh, invitation to discipleship is given. That may mean coming forward to join with us in membership with Northside Drive Baptist Church, or rededication of your life. Whatever that means to you, we pray for you at this moment. As we sing 130, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. And as we sing, we stand.
Cameron and Rebecca, if you could join me up here. I want to introduce to you Cameron and Rebecca Ellis, who have come forward to join Northside Drive Baptist Church this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about Cameron and Rebecca. Um, here, y'all come over a little bit more to the, the center here. Now, I, I do have-